0: Well, good morning to all of you, and on those of you joining us online, good morning. And I'll say good morning to those down in F3 as well. Glad you are, are with us and uh, and joining us. Uh, people that we can't say good morning to, who aren't with us this morning, are is the Fellowship Bible Church down in Shenandoah County, and this morning is their first Sunday that beginning to meet every uh, every week now. And uh, Don Denhartog is going to be in the pulpit down there. Um we uh, it came down to the wire, got the chairs uh, Friday afternoon, all set up down there, and everything was painted and the carpet carpet came back a little short, but uh, we got all the main worship area carpeted, they did and, and the little children's area. Um, had to order some more carpet for that, but uh, they're, they're ready to go. Uh, a good 70, 80 strong down there, so... Um, um, I want to pray for them right now, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the work that you have done, especially just even this last 30 days, Father, to transform a, a, a warehouse into a, a, a worship center. Um, that, was, uh, that was just a credit to, um, to you, Father, um, putting all the pieces together, all lining up perfectly. Thank you, Lord. And now I pray, Lord, that as they meet, as they worship today, um, it would be a a joyful, incredible, exciting time, Father. Um, Bless those people. Uh, I pray that they'll have hearts to look into that community and that county and um, share the love of Jesus. People are hurting everywhere, and certainly even in Shenandoah County. And um, I pray, Father, that... uh, You'll draw people to yourself as Jesus Christ is lifted up. And then, Father, thank you that, as Don teaches through um, the book of James down there as he begins, that um, you would awaken within people a hunger for the Word and, um, and a desire to, to, to sit under the teaching of your Word. Um, that's the, the reason why 100 families drove up here week after week to, just to hear the scriptures taught and now they get to do that down there so bless them father encourage their hearts we pray and now also for us here as we open up your word for a few moments um, stir our hearts to greater affections for you for all that you've done for us i pray this in christ's name amen you maybe have heard the story about the guy who uh, opened up the daily paper one day. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm at that age where I'm looking at the obituary column, you know. And he opened up the paper and he saw his name in the obituary column. And he ran down to the newspaper uh, office and began to, I mean, he was livid. He said, Do you realize how embarrassing this is for me? Do you realize it's impacting my business? People open up the paper, they see my name in the obituary column. This can't happen. And the, oh, the editor just profusely apologized. He's so sorry and, and it was a mistake but it didn't uh, assuage the anger of this guy. He kept ranting and raving and finally it just got out of hand and in disgust the editor finally said, look, cherub buddy, I'll put your name in the birth column tomorrow and you can get a fresh start. <laughs> now we chuckle at that but in reality, as believers in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what the scriptures teach. God takes us out of the obituary column and he places us in the the birth column the moment we trust him as our personal Savior. And Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 that we've been studying has been laying that out for us. We've read such things as verse 4 of chapter 6, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Or in chapter um, 7, verse 6, we have been released from the law so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. He makes all things new. Isaiah chapter 66, back in the Old Testament, reminds us, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And the very last book, Revelation 21, says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there no longer will be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now when Jesus comes back again, everything will be made new on this earth. All the mess that we've seen in, in, in this world, in this country, everything is going to be made new because Jesus is going to come and reign supreme. He's going to make new heaven and new earth. He's going to make all things new and we get to look forward to that day. We anticipate that. But as Romans reminds us, if we know Him as our Savior, He's already made us new. He has already made us new. And um, this is the glorious teaching of the book of Romans. Jesus comes into our lives. He takes us out of that old Adam realm as we've studied. Uh, own sinful nature. And he, he joins us with Christ. Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he exchanges that, our sin, for his righteousness. And it comes over to our account. And it doesn't mean our circumstances all of a sudden change. Pandemics go away or elections, good or bad, take place. It doesn't mean that this world all of a sudden is rosy. No, the world is as messy as it always has been but if you know Him as your Savior, He's made you new. You new. A radical change has taken place. And that's where Romans chapter 8 comes in. We've read and studied Romans 6. Romans 6 is this wonderful truth that we, are a, we have a new identity in Christ. Romans chapter 7 is a reality. We have to admit that, well, but we still sin. This new me is encased in a body of sin and I'm still going to struggle with sin. But Romans chapter 8 is what we now come to and realize that there's something that we must allow to have happen in our life so that the newness that is really our identity, who we are in Jesus, can be expressed and lived out. That newness that we truly are can be lived out. And Romans chapter 8 is such a crucial chapter. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about Romans chapter 8. But this morning, I just want to give a brief overview of Romans chapter 8. We just want to walk through it real quickly. What does new life in Christ really mean? I want to give you 10 things that the newness of life really means. First of all, it says we have a new position. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are... In Christ Jesus and of course that's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite little phrases in Christ if we know Jesus we have been taken out of the in Adam we're born in sin and we're that's our identity but the moment of faith he extracts us out of that and he places us in Jesus Christ and this as the old hymn says this mystical sweet communion We're identified with Jesus. We have a whole new possession because of Christ. And we'll talk about that as we get into Romans 8, starting next week a little bit more. Second of all, he says we have a new freedom. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. No longer do we have to be held in bondage to sin. We are set free. We don't have to live the way we once did because we're not the people we once were. He makes all things new, and He has unshackled us from that old sin nature. We are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've been liberated. We've been set free. And when we talk about there is therefore now no condemnation next week, we'll see how that word is so central in understanding our freedom. Thirdly, we have a new righteousness. Righteousness. Verse 4, well, let me read verse 3. For what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh, God did it. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that, verse 4, the requirement of the law might now be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us How can the law's requirement, what was the requirement of the law? Righteousness, God's standard, Christ's likeness, the imitation of Christ in our life. How can that be fulfilled in us? Because as I just said, at the moment of faith, our sins are exchanged for His righteousness. We are entirely a different person And Jesus Christ takes up residence in our life. He, the perfect law keeper, the perfect, the the epitome of righteousness, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law perfectly, as Dennis shared with us the last couple of weeks. And he takes up residence in our life. The law can be fulfilled in us as we walk not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. A new righteousness becomes ours. Fourth thing, we have a new power source. Again, verse 4, we who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit, a new power source. As we walk according to the control of the Spirit of God, that righteous standing becomes a righteous experience in our life. That's called sanctification. So His life begins to be manifested and flow out through us but it's under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. As believers in Jesus Christ, we've got to learn what it means to tap into the great power source of God. And when we do, that's when we really begin to experience the newness of life that He has for all of us. We have a new power source. It's called the Holy Spirit of God. The fifth thing we have is a new mindset. Verse 5 and 6 for those who walk or who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. See every morning we can get up as believers in Jesus Christ and have a fleshly mindset or a spiritual mindset. What is it that we are? setting our minds upon. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we do have that choice. Unbelievers don't have that choice. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the choice to decide if we're going to set our minds on the things of Christ or are we going to be wrapped up in the things of this world. How many times have we said here at Fellowship Bible Church, what a man thinketh in his heart is the most important thing about him. It determines who we are. A mindset. Do we let the fleshly things of this world dominate us? Or do we let the spiritual things of the world dominate us? I'll admit. I'll admit. I I get exercise. My wife says I'm kind of a news junkie. I don't think so. But I do know one thing. I've got to shut off the news sometimes because it just it puts me onto a fleshly mindset like, you would not want to be around me sometimes. And that stuff just can feed, it, could, it, it just all of a sudden you feel like, ugh, or whatever it might be. What do we choose to set our minds on? Paul will say in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world's way of what thinking but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can have a transformed mindset as we put our thoughts on Him. We've got that new mindset. Sixth thing that we have is a new relationship. Look at verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, and you have not received a spirit of slavery regarding are leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. We are children of God. And if we're children, we're heirs also, heirs of God. And he'll go on and give a conditional clause that says "And we can be fellow heirs of Christ if we suffer for Him. But we have a new relationship. God views us as His as his kids, as his spiritual family. A whole new relationship with the Almighty God. We, we had a seminar here yesterday and uh, we provided children's ministry. And uh, so my daughter and son-in-law came and they brought our, three of our little grandkids. And after the seminar, I'm up here talking with somebody and chatting with somebody. And all of a sudden, I feel this <laughs> around my leg. And I looked down, and it was our little four-year-old grandson looking up at me, hi, Grandpa. Now, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't look at him and say, get away from me, you nasty little kid. No, I actually turned from the person I was dis- talking and went down and picked up Haddon because he's my, he's my grandson. He's my, he's my kid. You know, God, we're adopted into God's family. We're, we're his daughters and sons. We, we call him Abba Father, Daddy. No believe, unbeliever in Jesus Christ can do that. Only believers in Jesus Christ, of the family of God, can look up at the Father and say, thank you, Daddy. I, help me, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. And receive it back. We have a new relationship. Number seven, we have a new hope. Look at verse 18. We'll jump down to verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him, though, who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? But if we hope in what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We have a new hope. And it's not in election results. It is in the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return. It's that God has a plan. He's a program that He's unfolding. And every piece fits into it. Even the results of an election. And it all fits into God's glorious plan. And it's all moving to our consummated end when Jesus Christ returns and He'll put everything right. As we read early in the Revelation, He'll make everything new. And that's our hope. And it's not a hope, so I hope that happens. It is a reality. And so Paul could write, we can eagerly anticipate it. We can eagerly look forward to it. We have these these sin-stained bodies, as Paul has told us in Romans 6 and in Romans 7, now in Romans 8. But one day, this new me, that is now encased in this earth suit of sin, this old earth suit is going to be put away. And if you know Jesus, we're going to get a new one. We're groaning right now in this old earth suit, but we're going to get something new. I was talking with uh, someone this week, uh, well into their 80s, and we were talking about heaven, They're Small group was, was going through David Jeremiah's recent series on, uh, on heaven. What a glorious thought that we are going to get something new one day, and we eagerly wait for it. We have a new hope, he says. But while we wait, here's the eighth thing that we have while we wait, we have new help. Look at um, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We'll talk about this a little more depth when we get to it. But isn't this something wonderful? Do you get sometimes at a point and you just don't know what to do, what to say, how to pray even. It's like, you just sit there and groan. In fact, verse 22 tells us the whole creation groans. And then verse 23, it says, even we ourselves groan in this, in this old body of sin. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit groans for us. And uh, as He comes before the, his, the, before the Father, the third person of the Trinity, And he intercedes for us with groanings that says too deep for words. What a blessed thing. He comes and he helps us while we wait for the coming hope. There's a ninth thing that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. And that is we have a new perspective. What does it mean to be new in Jesus? It means we have a new way of looking at life. Verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yes, even those bad things, even those tragedies, those traumas of the past, those things, uh, uh, an election that goes bad, or however, what, what all the bad things in the world, a pandemic that takes place. And somehow, as we keep our focus on him and we pursue him and we love him, and we're living out the calling according to His purpose as believers in Jesus Christ. We begin to realize God is taking all those things and He's working it all together for good. God causes all things to somehow work together and He accomplishes His good purposes for our good life. God does that. No unbeliever can say that. Only the child of God can say, Lord, I don't know for sure how this bad thing that I'm going through is going to work together for good, but I know this. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep following you. I'm going to keep living out the calling that you've called me to live in this world to honor and glorify you, and somehow, God, by faith, I'm going to trust that, man, you're going to weave that bad thing into all the other things, and somehow you're going to be honored, and I'm going to be blessed, and I'll rest in that. He causes all things to work together for good because He makes all things new. A new perspective we get because of Jesus. Here's the 10th thing. We have a new assurance. Verse 35 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor... And Paul just said any other created thing, add it to the list. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a new assurance that nothing separates us from his love. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, He looks upon you right now with the greatest affection that only the eternal created God can offer. He loves us, as Dennis preached last week. He loves us fully, completely, and nothing separates us from that love. And that's the assurance I have as a believer in Jesus Christ. Am I going to fail Him? Of course. But it's not going to separate me from His love. He makes all things new. Are you experiencing this new life in Christ? As a believer in Jesus Christ, is this newness that is ours by birthright, are we we experiencing it day by day? the newness of life in Christ. Maybe you're sitting here and you have yet to take that first step into the newness of a relationship with the eternal God. May I invite you right now to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven? That's how all things become new. It's not that we can make it new. It's not that we somehow maneuver through life and go to just work harder and try harder and grunt and groan and, and eke out a better job, a better existence, and try to make things new. Well, we can do that on a physical level, and it never fully satisfies. It never completely fills the void, the hole in our soul. Only Jesus can do that. Have you put your trust in Jesus? He died on the cross, and he paid for your sin. And He wants to give you the free gift of eternal life. And to receive that free gift, all we have to do is receive it by faith. God so loved the world, He gave the gift of His Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's as simple as saying, yes, I believe that. I transfer my trust off myself. I put it onto you, Jesus, and you alone because you're the only way to heaven. Yes, I believe that. And that moment of faith, he makes all things new. An election does not make all things new. What the world needs to see is not the right man elected to office, but the right church engaging the world. And the right church is people who understand their newness, the power of the Spirit, their new righteousness, their new position, and living out with a new hope, with a a new help by the Holy Spirit, fully assured with that new assurance, I'm loved by God. Man, if, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, how exciting is that? He has made us new. And we're going to celebrate that now. At the Lord's table. As Scott Newland, our elder, comes here in this service and uh, to lead us in that, would you please bow your head in prayer. Our Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us. Thank you so much, Father. We can't even begin, to, it seems like we can't even begin to scratch the surface of what it means to be new in Christ, but it all took place because of the cross. And we humbly come now to remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: This morning, as we continue our time of worship, to focus our attention on communing together to uh, participate in this act of remembering what God has done for us through His Son. Uh, We're here to celebrate the perfection of Christ's sacrifice for our sins. I want you to uh, pay close attention to the message Mark just shared out of Romans chapter 8 and that's found throughout the book of Romans is going to be repeated in an almost uncanny similar fashion in the book of Hebrews. So I want to read a couple of verses from the book of Hebrews. Typically, we would think of the Gospel of John when we think of Christ and His uh, sacrificial death and resurrection. But the author of Hebrews, beginning in chapter 10 with verse 9, we read, And this is Jesus speaking. He says, Then said he, then said Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. God taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And chapter 10 is talking about the law. The old law, the old covenant that's being removed and replaced with the new covenant, which allows for a new creation. He says, God takes away the first, that He may establish the second. Christ's substitutionary sacrificial shed blood and His physical death on the cross establishes the new covenant. What covenant does Christ's finished work on the cross take away? Think about this question. What covenant does Christ's finished work on the cross take away? so that a new covenant might take its place. And we find that it's the covenant of law and works, that Christ's finished work. And we know that the Scripture says Christ's work was perfect, and when He dies, He says it's finished. Another question, what covenant does does God now establish to take the place of the old covenant that's being completely and perfectly fulfilled by Jesus Christ's work on the cross. There's a new covenant of grace and faith that is being established through Christ's shed blood. We read in verse 10, by God's will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In verse 12, we read, But this man, Jesus Christ, after He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God. And in verse 19, we read, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Through Christ's finished work and shed blood, we can now, because He has been raised again to born again, resurrection life, we now can enter into the Holy of Holies, knowing that Christ shed blood has paid our sin penalty in full. These are the some of the things that we want to remember as we partake of communion together. Hopefully uh, you all have the elements. And if you're a visitor this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to partake with us. I want to turn to First Corinthians chapter eleven and read, uh, where again Paul uh, instructs us, and Christ says, uh, he says in verse beginning in verse twenty four, uh, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. So we take the bread, the wafer that's on the top cover of your elements. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. after the supper, we read, after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had finished supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, for the freedom we enjoy to come and gather to worship without fear, for the opportunity to be reminded and to remember all that you have done for us as a grace gift. You've given your son and his life We thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who you have sent to abide and reside within the soul of every believer. That power and presence of of you, Lord, and your level one power. Remind us, Lord, that you don't give us power or wisdom or strength without your presence. You are the power, you are the wisdom, you are the strength. May we call upon you to be that help we need as we face the trials and tribulations of living in a lost and fallen world where the contrast could not be clearer between the imperfections that are, that are us in our old physical body and the perfections that are you in your born-again resurrection life. Guide us and direct us, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified, that you would live your life, both in us and then out through us, that the world might see and know and be drawn to you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen.